Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture. In the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative editor with Adweek. And uh, joining me as she does each week is Sammy Main, our social editor and co-host on the podcast. Sammy, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How's it going, Greiner? Hey, give us a quick plug. Your book is out, coming out very soon, right? Yeah, when you guys hear this, uh, it'll be out the next day, Tuesday, May 1st. Um, oh, my goodness. That's bonkers. Yeah, look at you. Oh, so, so And soon. this is something you've been working on for what, like a, two, two years? Two years, yeah. yeah I oh, started, uh, signed the contracts in May 2016, which feels like forever ago when you think wow. about it. So uh, it is so called yeah. uh, How to Deal. What, what comes after the colon? Uh, tarot for everyday life. Awesome. So yes, definitely check out How to Deal Tarot for Everyday Life by Yay. our own Sammy Man. Uh, very, very excited for you. That's an awesome accomplishment. Thank you. I know. Also a long back- time coming. Yeah, very cool. Also back with us is our senior editor on the TV beat, Jason Lynch. Jason, great to have you back. Hey, great to be here. We're going to be talking Karate Kid and uh, other fun retro reboot stuff and some streaming things and lots of fun stuff. So always great to have you back. We've also got Sarah Jurdy, a, uh, the digital media, new digital media reporter for Adweek. Welcome, Sarah. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. Um, well, we have got lots to cover today, so let's, uh, let's dive on in. Let's start with the news. All right. We all remember from the Super Bowl that just about every third ad was a tight ad, or at least made you think it could be a tight ad. <laughs> and uh, this was Saatchi and Saatchi New York's campaign for the Procter & Gamble brand uh, that really was one of the big hits of this year's Super Bowl, and it has now won its first major award uh, at the DNAD Awards, which is a British award show where, honestly, Super Bowl ads don't do very well. U.S. ads in general don't necessarily thrive there not because so much it's like a british thing it's just more like they it's a little more design a little more craft focused dnad has this kind of rigorous um it's hard to describe but just within the ward show circuit it's seen as one of the more 
you know, craft driven ones. And so this is a big deal that uh, it's a tied ad uh, won the black pencil, which is their grand prize, their equivalent of a grand prix at most other award shows. There were three black pencils given out this year, one to the tied ad campaign, which has continued since. Uh, and for those, I mean, on the, if you don't know, if you don't remember this, the ones where David Harbour, the actor from Stranger Things, would just kind of appear in ads uh, at the last second when you think it's an ad for Mr. Clean or something else. Uh, and uh, do you guys have any favorites from that campaign that, that stick with you? I always remember the, like, very smiling tennis match one. Just It felt very, like, old-school Mentos ads to me. Oh, yeah, I, like it was like a, a pharma surprise. ad or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like the, the Mr. Clean one I think is still my favorite where it's like that's mm. literally the footage from the old Mr. Clean ad from last year and then it's just David Harbour wearing the tidy white <laughs> like, like <laughs> the doing his little dance I get that song stuck in my head too sure, uh, of they, I won't I won't I won't sing it but I, I sing it a lot. Uh, we, we've also, um, the other big winners were Fearless Girl. I don't know if you guys have heard of this one. It's a statue. It's on Wall Street. Oh, right. One of those, one of that, you know, that, um, mm-hmm, I, that sounds yeah. familiar. It, um... I, I think it has literally won hundreds of awards at this point. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it, 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 it is getting a, a new home in front of the, uh, in front of the stock exchange. But, uh, but yeah, Fearless Girl just, a, a, more than a year after its debut, it's still racking up awards. And man, it's not done. We got, uh, oh, I think the one show is coming up. Um, the Cleos are coming up. I think it's still it's still going to be making the rounds for do several. Do we still it won... like it? Where do we fall on Fearless Girl? Well, we've never had Sarah on. Sarah, what's your take on Fearless Girl? Um, I think it's interesting. I went down there actually with my family. It was this sort of destination they wanted to see it when they came to town. Interesting. Um, yeah, so we went down and saw it with the horde of other people who are also there to <laughs> sort of take pictures with it. Um, but it, it's been interesting to hear the feedback that it's gotten. It's certainly been on the top of a lot of different minds. And as you mentioned, has won so many different awards. Very diplomatic answer. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that. Is like many people have opinions. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh, Jason, did, have you been down there? I feel like you went down there with your kids, right? Yeah, I, I have. We, we went down uh, just a little bit ago. And I mean, it, it is still something that is a destination. There were people there mm-hmm. taking photos. I, I will be a little sad to see it removed um, from its current place because I, I, I like it facing off. I like her facing off with the bull. Yeah. And it just won't be it won't be quite the same without it well the um the the interesting thing you know i talked to rob riley the global creative chief for mccann uh about this you know and just we've we've talked about every aspect of fearless girl you really can but the thing that really you know that he really brought up is a he continues to be really impressed with the client uh state street global advisors for being willing to put something out there that they knew would spark a lot of conversations i i doubt they predicted quite how much uh but that you know that they were willing and they have obviously gotten some bad press since then because their parent company had you know owed five million in a back pay to underpaid women and minorities, uh, but he said, you know, they're they're very self aware that they're part of an industry that needs to improve, uh, and they knew that going into this, they could have they could have done anything that wasn't a statue of a young woman and that wasn't the she fund which this thing promoted uh, to encourage more women in, in leadership of companies. So, um, but the other thing too is he just talked about how great it is that you know their grandkids might see this thing that you can take your grandkids there someday and say I helped make this and it'll still be there, which is a very cool thing. Um, 
And also, by the way, Rob Riley, uh, interesting, he he brought this up. He did not know he had won the black pencil yet when we talked. And he was saying that, yeah, these black pencils, man, they're really hard to win. I worked on <laughs> Subservient Chicken, Whopper Freakout, Field Trip to Mars for Lockheed Martin, uh, Small Business Saturday for American Express. Like some of the most famous ad campaigns of all time, he's never won a black pencil. And so congratulations to Rob. Mm-hmm. I, I I did not, of course, I could not tell him at the time. I, I knew under embargo that he had won. Um, but so that was kind of fun to hear that, uh, you know, that was one of the big accomplishments he had never personally achieved. So congrats to everyone at McCann for the continued success of Fearless Girl. But there was a third winner. Uh, and this one I had never heard of, which is awesome. Like I, I love, on the one hand, I feel like I should know everything about creative campaigns that are out there, uh, but I had never heard of this one. It's called the Palau Pledge, uh, which is hard to say on the first try, but it is from the island nation of Palau in Micronesia. Uh, and basically they were having some severe, as most countries like this do, some severe long-running issues with pollution and environmental destruction caused by their tourism industry, which of course is also their lifeblood of revenue. And so, you know, you on the one hand, you have to have the tourists uh, to get, you know, to have this economy. On the other, the tourists were destroying the environment that they were coming there to see. They're crushing coral. They're leaving trash behind. They're, uh, they were taking some of the fish, uh, you know, some of the tropical fish from there and poaching them, taking them home. Uh, and so they created this thing called the Palau Pledge. It was uh, created with an agency called Host Havas in Australia, part of the Havas Network. And... Um, it, you know, basically, it's it's a stamp that when you go into the country, uh, first of all, you watch a video on the flight over, um, and uh, let, let's just actually let's listen right now to just a little piece of the video that you hear on the way in. It's a story of a giant that came to Palau and kind of wreaked havoc on everything, but it didn't know it was wreaking havoc. So of course, it is a metaphor for you as the tourist coming and stomping your big messy feet all over everything. <laughs> uh, so let's listen to a little bit of that. giant went off and had a good think about this. And he finally said, What can I do, children, to help you keep Palau beautiful? From that moment, the children became friends with him. We took his hand and taught him how to take care of our island paradise. Touching, feeding, chasing, or taking away our wild animals is bad for our island, we told him. And you can't step on the coral. It's fragile, and if you break it, it takes years to grow again. And so when you land, uh, your passport gets stamped, but instead of the traditional visa, it gets stamped with something called the Palau Pledge, which is uh, basically a promise to the children of Palau. Uh, It was written by the children of Palau, uh, promising to not, you know, to be respectful of their environment, of their people, of their wildlife, uh, and to treat it, you know, the way that it deserves to be treated. And you literally sign that pledge in your own uh, passport. Uh, So... You know, it, it's a bit of a PR play, but also uh, they they did step up enforcement and policing. Did you guys get a chance to check this one out? I I was I just thought this was such a cool idea. It reminded me a lot of what we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, kind of that influencer campaign showing 
the like photoshopped fake, you know, beautiful tourism spots, but actually those don't exist because they've been trampled by tourists or industry or whatever. I kind of like this new trend of, of, you know, sustainable tourism or kind of more responsible tourism, getting people to, to think about it, I think is really interesting. And this also felt, you know, um, heartwarmingly sad, maybe also at the same time. It's, it's a gorgeous concept. Yeah, the, the, the thing that someone pointed out today uh, was that the, by, by making it a pledge to the children, Mm-hmm. It really sets a positive tone where it's not like we are the government of Palau and we are demanding that you sign. You know, it's right. not like some kind of environmental <laughs> regulation, which I mean it is, but that it's it's something warmer than that. And the creative mm-hmm. really, uh, really sell that. So uh, you know, huge congrats to Host Voss, the team there. Um, that uh, this is a, a career highlight, like we were just talking about, to win a black pencil. So uh, congrats to them. Uh, one other item I want to talk about, especially since we have Jason here to help talk us through this, Stranger Things. Like like so many people, we love talking about Stranger Things. Uh, I thought season two was was great, uh, which as I watch, you know, J- this is a tangent, but Jason and I have been arguing about Westworld for like the better part of a year. Um <laughs> And man, I am not loving season two. And so I feel like I feel like I should love it just because I've like defended Westworld so many times over the last year. And then season two is off to a real drag. Uh, But Stranger Things was a very good season two, a nice follow up. And you got some numbers uh, from Nielsen, which these are not. So Netflix famously, infamously does not give out numbers of its viewership. Right, Jason? Correct. Yes. Yeah, they're allergic to it. Yeah. In fact, (laughs) Netflix actually does everything in their power to uh, to try and prevent Nielsen from getting numbers. Um, There is a digital watermark that every piece of content has, and that's what Nielsen uses to figure its ratings out. And Netflix actually strips that watermark out of its content. Um, so Nielsen can't go into that. So they have had to kind of figure out a workaround, which which they have done um, over the past year. To, uh, for the over the past year, they have this new thing called SVOD content ratings, which right now is only measuring Netflix and is only measuring TV uh, TV screen viewership of Netflix, which is about seventy five percent of of all the the Netflix viewing. Um, and although they they released some numbers about Netflix, I mean about Stranger Things last fall. They said that 15.8 million people watched the, the debut episode in this first weekend. Uh, they, Nielsen had a press briefing with, um, with, with the media ahead of this year's Upfront, and they presented their streaming, their Netflix data in a new way, where they, they looked at all the streaming premieres from the last year, all the biggest ones, and they showed us how uh, the, the debut day viewership stacked up. So this, this included... The number of people who streamed uh, could have just been the first episode. However many episodes they watched, the first day something was available. And uh, Stranger Things outranked the competition by, I think it was three times as much as as the number two, Mm. where uh, almost 25 million episodes of Stranger Things were streamed that day. So there were certain people who binged the whole thing in one day. A lot of people just watched one episode. But um, that, you know, that... That was pretty incredible um, when you think the number two, which was um, which was Marvel's Defenders, and I think that topped out at around eight million uh, number of episodes viewed in one day. So you know, there's so much different uh, content that comes out on Netflix, but um, it's still it's still clear indication that Stranger Things is just on a different plane than anything else. One of the other things that came up in your article is Bright, the movie, the like oh. I don't know Warcraft meets uh, Bad Boys uh, movie that they made with Will Smith. Um, but you know, setting aside the quality of that movie, which is quite 
questionable. It's an interesting, that's a big budget kind of Hollywood debut on Netflix. How did that one do? Uh, that one, so again, in the first the first debut, and that's a little different because it's, it was a movie, so there were no multiple episodes. So this was just the amount of average amount of people who watched uh, this. And that topped out around $5 million. Um, so if you factored in movie tickets at, you know, let's say 10 to 15, so now you're, you're talking about something that, you know, that, that, that's a pretty big opening if that had been a box office release. Um, there has been a big controversy and, you know, a lot, a lot of debate about the number of, of movies that are on Netflix these days. And while I think a lot of them tend to slip through the tra- the cracks, this was a big deal for them because it was Will Smith. And mm-hmm. um, so it does show that, that they're these movies can attract a lot of people, but I don't think that that's the, that's the case across the board. Yeah. So what else did we learn about Netflix more broadly? I thought some of the demographic information was really interesting that this was not like Netflix is not a service for one kind of viewer. Exactly. And again, this a lot of what Nielsen shared, this is just more them saying, OK, this is a new this is a new metric for us. Um, we're not even sure ourselves the best way to present all this information, but mm-hmm. here's just things we can do with what we know. And okay. one thing that they were showing us were uh, that the, the demographic breakdown for all of all of their big shows in the last year uh, were very different. So this is you know Netflix has been long saying that they're trying to be all things to all people. So whether your favorite show is The Crown or whether you're younger and your favorite show is, is Fuller House, you know they want to have something for you. And these the 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 demog- if, if you go to to the story that I wrote this week, um, we embedded a chart where you see it's every show that the demographic breakdown is completely different from from one show to the next, which is also really interesting and just speaks to um, what a kind of broad swath of programming they're putting on the air these days. It makes me so happy for some reason. Like sometimes I get real grumpy with all the things that are on Netflix or like how many originals they're not even promoting. But then I have watched at least two different uh, like feature-length rom-coms from them that are both kind of time travel flashback related in the... I don't know. They have, like, all kinds of things. They have um, a really delightful show, too, Everything Sucks, which is, like, set in the 90s and gives you, you know... It's not the same sort of genre that Stranger Things is in, but for me, it's getting the nostalgia without the spooky stuff uh, for the 90s as opposed to kind of other decades. I don't know. They really do have a lot, and it's nice that we're finally getting an inside look into kind of who is watching and how many and all that stuff. I think we have some bad news for you about Everything Sucks, right? No. Yeah. No. I know. And, and no. That, that, that was actually... <laughs> what? Yeah, they, 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 sadly, they've already pulled the plug off. <gasps> it was, and and, and, oh, and that was actually one of my favorite new Netflix shows as well. And one of the shows I was telling people, because there's just such a glut now. Obviously, everybody's going to watch Stranger Things. And if you have, you know, your other one or two Netflix shows you love, but but there's just so much new stuff and it's hard. And I was always pointing people toward that one. But I'm apparently... So that was a live job. reaction. Yes. I was not aware <laughs> the actors of the show themselves were like, because I had tweeted about it, and they wow. were still engaging yes. with that tweet like a yeah. month ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, no. maybe, it'll, maybe it'll get picked up on Crackle. Oh, God. <laughs> that was a sad sentence, David Greiner. <laughs> no. uh, cool. um, 
Okay. And so the other thing that came up I wanted to hit up because it follows up a previous conversation we had on here is about Roseanne. What what did the numbers have to say about the return of Roseanne? Yeah, so in addition to showing off their their new um, SVOD content ratings, uh, they were also just flexing their muscles a bit. Nielsen was on uh, on their their total audience measurements. So this is going beyond linear ratings and to show how on various platforms um, viewership really can kind of add up and give you this this picture of, of how many people are watching an episode. So we talked about um, Roseanne's huge premiere. Eighteen point two million people watched uh, that first premiere, uh, that first episode, that first day. Um, so Nielsen did a deeper dive into specifically the 1849 demo uh, and just to show how that stacked up over the next few weeks. So just to give you a sense, um, in live viewing, so people who watched it that live, there was a 3.1 rating in 1849, which is still incredible and kind of double what's considered a hit these days. Um, then there was additional 4.0 rating in DVR viewing, another 2.0 in set-top box VOD, and then a 1.4 rating, which on its own, if that was a live number, most networks would be ecstatic with that. That came just from uh, from streaming, like ABC and, and Hulu apps. So um, you add all that together, then there was another kind of 0.3 in, in, uh, on mobile devices and computer, and all of a sudden you have an, a 10.8 demo rating for the premiere going a couple weeks after, factoring all the viewing a couple weeks after it aired. And the series finale back in 1997 had an 8.1 demo rating. So you have a considerably larger amount of people watching the show now than did, um, you know, at the end of its run, which is which is pretty incredible. And also what's incredible is the consistency um, and those robust numbers as you add every platform in. So this is not just people who loved Roseanne back in the day watching it on live TV. It's people watching it on Hulu. It's people catching up with it on VOD. So it really does speak to uh, just to the breadth of the audience that that has come back to uh, to watch the show. Well, thanks for catching us up on that and definitely encourage everyone to check out Jason's full story on the Nielsen day. Just look up Stranger Things ad week. You'll find it. Um, <laughs> but uh, lots of, man, there's so many charts in that story. <laughs> there's a <laughs> there lot of data. Lot. Yes, there are a lot. <laughs> um, so uh, with that, we're going to move on to this week's ads worth watching. All right. Well, um, once again, we had some really killer work that we saw over the last week that uh, doesn't really translate all that well to podcasts. I'll just mention them quickly so people can kind of look them up if you have not seen them. Uh, David Miami, the agency that does a lot of crazy Burger King advertising, they put out some print ads and actually ran them in print. So it wasn't just kind of a scam. uh, Where it shows the mansions previously owned by McDonald's executives, and it's just a big photo of like the patio of their of their mansions. And then subtly noted off to the side is the fact that they have a grill uh, on their patio, which most people do. But Burger King, uh, of course, very proud of its grilled burgers. And so they put a little note over the grill of each one that says uh, something along the lines of like flame grilling is hard to resist. Uh, And then it just at the bottom has tiny little text that says that it's the home of these uh, McDonald's these days. So a weirdly specific ding, uh, but it actually ran in several newspapers, weird like little small town papers too in Texas and Iowa and stuff. And they wouldn't clarify why they picked those. I don't know if that's where some of those mansions are. Oh, You know, it's like, because there was a few few major papers and then several really tiny ones. Are those like beef counties maybe? I don't know. (laughs) One was called Hamburg. (laughs) 
<laughs> so well, I thought maybe they, they just picked that just like, I don't know, we got a few extra bucks, throw it at the old Hamburg <laughs> Daily newspaper. Um, but uh, and then we also had one for McDonald's uh, where it, they turned their menu items into weather forecasts uh, showing different object there was a thermometer made out of a french fry and just very you know both very cool out uh, out of home as we call it in the ad industry um, but definitely worth checking out if you google both of those you will find them they're a lot of fun to look at um, but uh, the one i wanted to talk about uh, just broke uh, shortly before we are recording this it is the newest installment in at&t's long-running and consistently heartbreaking mm-hmm. campaign called It Can Wait about why you should avoid distracted driving. It used to be texting while driving, and they've kind of done a good job of updating the, the campaign to reflect the fact that it could be che- checking Facebook. It could be, mm. you know, it can be anything these days. And they said that distracted driving has become a much broader thing. Uh, but the, in these two new spots, they're from BBDO New York, which has done most of the work uh, for AT&T, especially on this campaign. And they're directed by Errol Morris, uh, who... If you're not a documentary film lover, uh, you may know him from his many, many, many ads. Uh, He did a lot of the most famous Apple ads, uh, the Get a Mac ads. Uh, Anything where people are interviewed staring straight into the camera, that's usually Errol Morris. (laughs) And uh, he... Uh, he, they worked with AT&T and BBDO New York on this campaign that ba- that took two victims of distracted driving accidents. One caused the crash by looking uh, at his at a text message and then veering into oncoming traffic, uh, and he was killed in that accident uh, as a teenager. And the other uh, was killed by a distracted driver uh, when he was 16. And the campaign ages uh, digitally ages these uh, teenagers to what they would look like now. And then they are actually the stars of the ads. Um, it's it sounds uh, creepy uh, in the kind of uncanny valley way. I think it was probably a very intimidating campaign to work on in the sense of if you get it wrong, I mean, what a what yeah. a bad thing to mess up. The good news yeah. is, I think they That's did a fine it. Line. Yeah, I, I think they did it well. Um, mm-hmm. Let's listen to a little bit from one of the ads where you can hear, obviously, they had an actor uh, doing the voiceover, uh, but they worked very closely with the families and then also with forensic artists to uh, convey what they would look like. Um, but I think most importantly, they worked really closely with their relatives and loved ones to make sure that this was a true depiction of what they were like. Let's listen to one of those. Things have turned out differently? I don't know. I wanted to be an athletic trainer, but I actually wanted to be an athlete, but I wasn't very good at sports. Maybe I'd be married to that girl I was hanging out with freshman year. She's married with a baby now. Life keeps racing forward for everyone, except me. So it's, you know, it, again, it's, it's a dangerous uh, or risky, I guess, approach because of the Uncanny Valley thing, right, of just how easy it is to get something to look. I mean, anyone who even saw, like, Star Wars Row One knows that that bringing people back and digitally updating them, it, it's real hit or miss. And for some people, they just can't get past it. Uh, did you guys get to watch some of these? Do you think they uh, they pulled it off? Uh, yeah, I, I thought that it was. Um, I thought it was really moving. Um, you know, obviously we know that the family was involved in this. So, um, but you know, I think most people who who see this are not obviously not going to realize that. And that is where my first thought went is just, you know, I, I can't imagine being a family member and, and, and seeing, you know, your, your, your dead relative, um, talking. And obviously it's a real power, powerful message, but, um, I think it's, it's a tough, that's a tough thing to get around. 
Um, obviously, the family was on board, um, so so you know they felt this was important as well. But I thought that I thought they were very effective. I agree with Jason on this. Watching them, I can't imagine how overwhelming it must have been for the family members to participate in this campaign. Um, but I think that it was they really pulled it off well. Watching the videos, I was just it was sort of like I was you know hit in the stomach because they were so emotional, and I just got a little misty, honestly, because. Um, the stories just are really powerful. I think they're pretty pretty well done. And and to Errol Morris's credit, you know, he really was just supposed to make these 30-second spots, uh, which obviously took a ton of work on the digital side uh, and just the back-end side. The logistics of pulling this off were huge. Uh, but he, I think just on his own initiative, really created these two mini documentaries about these two teenagers where he interviewed the family much more in the traditional Errol Morris uh, documentary style of talking to the family members about it. And, oh, man, they're they're hard to watch. Uh, they're great. Um, but they really kind of show you, they help you appreciate the, the final ads as well uh, because a lot of the details that come up in the ads, um, you know, about one of the guys not being very good at sports. And, you know, it's just those little things come up with the family. It's like, oh, he loves sports, but he wasn't very good at them and <laughs> things like that. Um, and so it's, you know, good on him for, for doing more to honor their lives than just a 30-second ad. Uh, there's also a great behind-the-scenes video where you can really see how they how they did all this. You can check all that out on adweek.com. Uh, but, uh, y- you know, it's it, 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 these kind of campaigns, I have to admit, they— I don't know if they work. I don't know how well they work. They have a stat in there in the release about this uh, campaign saying that 81% of drivers admit to checking their phone uh, while driving. Mm-hmm. And I would love to say I've never done that. Um, but, you know, it is it is tempting. And there is some dumb part of your brain that thinks that that's an okay thing to do. And for, for whatever reason, maybe because I have kids and just this idea of picturing them in a future that they can't have. I don't know. It's just something about it. it this one... It weighed on me. Uh, it was pretty heavy. So, um, yeah. So check it out. Not the most uplifting thing, but I think it's very impactful work. And I'll be interested. Honestly, I'll just be interested to see how it's received. This is the kind of campaign that that when you know all the context, to Jason's point, um, you know, it's really it, you can really appreciate it. If you don't have the context, this is going to be playing in movie theaters in front of Avengers, in front of Solo, mm-hmm. uh, in, in front of um, uh, what's the other huge one? Um, oh, uh, the Jurassic World. You know, so, I mean, a lot of people are going to see this, and I think it'll be really interesting to see how they respond to that. So there's our uh, not-so-uplifting, but uh, (laughs) craft-impressive piece of uh, advertising this week, so check that out. Now, let's let's lighten things up. We'll have a big discussion about uh, nostalgia and TV. That'll feel good after this. Yeah. All right, so our cover story uh, this (laughs) this week is... uh, is about Cobra Kai. Uh, Jason, why don't, you, why don't you catch us up on this concept? I think a lot of people may not even know this thing's coming and, and what the premise here is. Uh, yeah, and if that's the case, it is, it's, it's because it's, it's going to be on YouTube Red, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a second, but that's YouTube's subscription streaming service. So the, the first two episodes will be available to anybody on YouTube, so you'll be able to see it that way. But Cobra Kai is a modern-day revival of The Karate Kid, um, and it it feature, it stars the the, the two uh, main actors from from the original Ralph Macchio, um, who played Daniel Russo, and 
uh, William Zabka, who played Johnny Lawrence. Um, so this kind of picks up with them thir- three decades after the first film, um, where where Daniel you know, defeated kind of the, uh, Johnny, who had been bullying him all year in, in the big uh, d- tournament at the end of the film. Um, and you know, as, as we pick up three decades later, uh, Johnny is pretty down on his luck now. He's uh, He's he's kind of handyman. He's trying to make ends meet. Daniel has been more successful. He runs a uh, chain of local uh, lo- local uh, car dealerships, that all of which play off his his kind of glory days. Uh, the Karate Kid. So so everywhere Johnny turns, he seems to kind of have to you know be faced with his uh, with with his his past. Uh, and then through there's a series of events, and uh, some of it are related to um, each of their kids who are now the age that they both were back in the day. Um, Johnny is is kind of prompted as he tries to get his life back together to reopen the Cobra Kai dojo that he was in in the original film, and that kind of causes him to cross path cross paths again uh, with with Daniel LaRusso. Um, but what's kind of great about this is that it's not just um, kind of an homage to the original where let's just, you know, dust off all the old catchphrases and Hmm. it's just kind of more of the same. This is a really surprisingly layered performance, especially for for Johnny. And, And it's not... Uh, it's not really a very clear kind of protagonist antagonist situation anymore. I mean, there are, there are good and bad aspects to both Johnny and Daniel and their kids these days. Uh, so it's really interesting. It's it's a bit of maybe a curveball from what you would expect from this. It's still fun. There's a lot of humor in it as well. But um, it is you know this is something where this is not just kind of a cash grab. Like they put some they put some effort into into making this um, something that both I think Karate Kid fans will enjoy. But um, also, kind of maybe stands alone on its own, which is uh, which is you know kind of impressive. Now I, I feel like I was in the perfect age range to you know when Karate Kid came out. Uh, I'm 40 now, so I don't know. I can't do the math, but I remember what age I was. But I was like prime Karate Kid watching age. Uh, but I'm curious, you know, Sammy and Tara, does does Karate Kid have a lot of resonance with? you know, with millennials and people who weren't, you know, like 10-year-olds watching this movie when it first came out? I think that's a fascinating question. I have seen the movie precisely once, and that's only because my grandmother was um, a huge fan and made me watch it. (laughs) And I've got to say, hearing Jason recap some of what happened, I couldn't remember exactly the storyline. So personally, I'm not super invested in um, this reboot, but um, I don't know. Are any of your friends, Sammy, into this idea? No, <laughs> I mean I feel like I. Uh, oh, wait, hold on. Let's let's start first yeah. off. Sammy, are you invested in this idea? <laughs> no. And, and, and how many times have you seen Karate Kid? Precisely zero. Yes, there we go. <laughs> no, Sammy has not seen Star Wars. <laughs> That's yeah. also what. Uh, yeah, we, we're talking. We should lay a lay a base foundation of awareness right. here. Yeah, listen, <laughs> listen, listen. But I can. So uh, coming from as I do an improv background. I can reference a lot of things. So I think from like a genre perspective, it was an incredibly important movie for kind of comedy. Um, uh, Which I I don't think was the intent of that. No, not so much. When you make a movie, you don't really anticipate how stupid improv nerds many years later will reference it. Um, But I do think, you know, it um, as it kind of says in, in Jason's article throughout some of the interviews, there weren't these like 
Disney classics or Pixar classics yet. Like that was kind of one of the three blockbustery movies that kids could really attach themselves to at the time. And so I think it did resonate a ton, maybe with like, all of this sounds bad. Older millennials, uh, <laughs> Gen Xers. I mean, I I feel like it kind of, you know, struck a chord and, and kind of was uh, epic. I mean, it spawned so many reboots throughout the years anyways. I haven't seen those either, but it's, it's it the, has a, an impact for sure. The Jackie Chan version and the... Uh, Hillary, Hillary Duff version, mm-hmm. or not Hillary Swank. Duff. <laughs> Hillary Swank. Please make Riddle. one with Hillary Duff, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that actually sounds more accurate. Uh, um, yeah. Y- you know, I, I, w- I just have to quickly point out my my favorite parts of Karate Kid, which is that it's about, as many of us have done, it's about a young man having to move cross-country from, I believe, New Jersey to yes. California. Oh. Um, and he, uh, because his mom has a new job, which you're like, okay, that makes sense. Except her new job is as a waitress. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you, you moved like 2,000 miles <laughs> to be Super a waitress. Stick the landing <laughs> on that one, but all no, right. No, no opening. Maybe there's just like, maybe that's just what she told him and they were actually fleeing a, a, a bad relationship. I, I don't know. Indeed. But yeah, it's like as an yeah. adult, that those kinds of things and the fact that Mr. Miyagi owns like $5 million worth of cars and he's a maintenance man, <laughs> like, like it's just those things as an no, you can't like, think about it too long. Yeah, yeah, don't overthink it. So anyway, we have distracted <laughs> long enough from. Um, but but Jason, the um, as you mentioned, this is on YouTube Red uh, with some free viewing uh, on the front end. Tell us how YouTube Red's been doing. Well, we 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 don't know. Um, they're 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 being quiet about uh, about their their viewership, and it's it's ten dollars a month uh, to subscribe to it, and you get not only all YouTube uh, ad free, you get these originals, you get uh, there's a couple music services as well. Um, so so Suzanne Daniels, who's the head of uh, global programming for YouTube, just says that it is doing well. But this is this is a big show for them. Um, in fact, part of part of the the reason that YouTube Red was able to successfully get this show over other outlets who uh, who the team had been in discussions with, like Netflix and Hulu and TBS is their enthusiasm for this project being their version of House of Cards or Handmaid's Tale on YouTube. Not in the sense that it's going to win all those awards, but it's going to kind of put the streaming service on the map in a way that it hasn't been before. And to our previous discussion about how the uh, older ones of us in, in, on this podcast are maybe a little more excited about this. This is also a big play for YouTube Red to expand beyond their core demo of 1834, the heavier YouTube uh, viewers, mm-hmm. into 1849 with things like Cobra Kai, with shows like uh, they, there was a t- TV series based on the Step Up franchise that came out earlier this year. So this is a part of a really big play for them to broaden their their um, their base and to get in people who aren't just interested in watching uh, you know original shows with YouTube stars. Well, and so this this ushers in kind of the larger conversation that I was curious to have is uh, between this and Ready Player One and uh, you know of course the Will and Grace and a few other shows that have come back. What, it remind me of some other reboots, Jason. I feel like oh, well, we've had quite... Roseanne, which we were just talking sure. about, has been the big one. X Files mm. uh, came back before. Um, uh, we've also had um, Prison Break, not quite as successful, oh, yeah. uh, but there, there's a, and and there's there's already a few that are going to be on tap for next year. But there, they, we are definitely in um, kind of revival, you know, a heyday of of, of revivals. 
Yeah, I, Gilmore I really, Girls, way, felt, 24, yeah. Uh, yeah, One Day a at a Time, like a totally different kind yeah. of version of it, but back. Yeah, yeah. One Day at a Time is a great example. So yeah. good. That one and, was renewed. I have, that one I know, right? That is, yes, okay, that is good. coming back. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there there is kind of, I think as, um, you know, it used to be that we would we would lump reboots and revivals in together because mm-hmm. it was just this idea of taking IP or intellectual property uh, and just putting a new spin on it. But I feel like within the past year there has been this pivot towards specifically revivals, like like Roseanne, like Will and Grace, that we were talking about, and like something like like Cobra Kai, where yes, you could do a reboot, and, and certainly One Day of a, t- a Time is one of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. But there is this this appetite now. For I want the show with the people or the movie with the people who were in the mm-hmm. original thing that I loved, and that's what I want uh, to come back. And I think that that's what we're starting to see more of now. And it, you raised some interesting points uh, that I think I had always assumed, but had never heard specifically about Ralph Macchio and Billy Zabka. They're they are not they have not been itching to come back to these roles. <laughs> they haven't, and it's not you know. And on one hand, you could say, well, you know, shouldn't you just want to be doing anything that's giving you a paycheck but um but you know that but their, their feeling is that like listen you know we uh this is this means a lot to us it means a lot to a lot of people um you know Ralph Macchio was saying to me like there's a lot of people who've come to him who've said you know the themes of being bullied and and having you know a single uh, you know single single parent growing up with with just one parent you know it was really kind of resonated with him so um he he turned down a lot of stuff um, they, you know, occasionally, you know, both of them did. I think they did a cameo on How I Met Your Mother, and like every once in a while, they they, they would do kind of little things that would kind of um, would kind of uh, reference yeah. the, their Karate Kid past. But there had been other other ideas that that they've said no to, and uh, because you know, as Ralph Macchio told me, I would rather. I would rather leave it as it is than do something um, that doesn't approach the original film and get it wrong. Um, so you know, I think so they they kind of both felt that. So it also speaks to how much more interesting this concept was that they that they were both on board. Like this was not a case where um, they just dangled a lot of money in front of them and they said yes. Like they really both the 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 three um, people who were the kind of creator showrunners of this really had to to pitch both of them um, separately and, and you know kind of at length about um, about getting getting them on board for this. Yeah, and it really does to me highlight in a way that Ready Player One I, d- I don't think really did effectively is that the double-edged sword of nostalgia, right, is that on the one hand it's comforting to return to some of these but that things change and, and that we don't live in that world anymore. And I feel like that's actually the part of Cobra Kai I'm most excited about is that it isn't just this like return to the glory days of pre-social media and when life seemed simpler. It's like acknowledging that life doesn't go the way we always intended it to. And the 80s were such a time of like, everything ends on a happy note. There are no sad endings. (laughs) And now it's just like, but 20 years later, 30 years later, things aren't always awesome. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think in in that same vein, I saw, and I'm sure this idea has been thrown around a lot, but I saw once on Reddit that someone proposed a new Fresh Prince show where, you know, Will Smith is now older than Uncle Phil was uh, when the show started. Interesting. And, and, like, basically bringing him into that role where his character is now the adult, the responsible adult, and he's trying to bring up someone and how that's a good way to to reboot it by continuing the storyline, but maybe recognizing that 
life isn't that, that show got dark at times, but it was overwhelmingly mm-hmm. a very positive show. And mm-hmm. I, I think you could really get interesting with your social commentary on that one. But that'd be delightful. I hadn't heard of that, and now that's all I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's getting Will Smith to do a regular TV show. I when when Bright oh, was sure. announced, I thought Bright was going to be a TV show. I was like, whoa. Yeah, right. I, I would say, I, you know, I would give it another kind of five or ten years. I think that there will be uh, a, a time where he may be open to something like that. And especially as we see kind of digital and, uh, and you know, movies and TV and everything continuing to converge. I, I think I think that could happen at some I mean, certainly Alfonso uh, Ribeiro, I think, you know, will, will, would be on board for something. But, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think I, 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 you give it some time. I mean, I think I don't think that uh, revivals are going to be going away anytime soon. So there's already a couple more that we know are on tap for next season. So uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll get to Fresh Prince before too long. I mean, if you had if you had said Roseanne like five years ago, I would have been like, no. They, you had said Roseanne a year ago because this right? was it was not announced till a year ago. Yeah. I, I really I, that to me, and I, we talked about this on the last the last podcast, but that was the pleasant surprise to me because I, I thought I think it's been I think it's been a really solid season. Um, I think we're going to see some of these revivals come back and not be good, but until that happens everybody's going to, every network's going to want to be uh, doing revivals. And I'm sure that we're going to hear, we already know um, CBS is doing Murphy Brown next year. Oh, yeah. um, we know that Sony just closed the deal uh, with Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt to do Mad About You, but they haven't, <laughs> to bring that back, but they haven't, yeah, it has okay. not been landed, it has not landed with, with the network yet. I'm sure. assuming that'll be back on NBC and we'll hear about that at the upfront next month. But I'm sure one or two others are going to be announced uh, very quickly. Um, at some point, they're going to fail, but uh, as of now, they're doing pretty good. You, you know how like Netflix lets you skip the intros of shows? And so it, when season two of Stranger Things came out, I immediately just skipped the intro because I figured it'd be the same. And it, and it is. Um, but but like I think near the end of that first episode, I turned to my wife and I said, uh, I said, wow, that guy looks a lot like Paul Reiser, like a big old Paul Reiser. <laughs> and then <laughs> the next episode, I was like, oh, that's totally Paul Reiser. <laughs> <laughs> he has he not aged stupendously well, although his acting is still quite good. Um, but uh, that that shall be interesting. Uh, okay, so before we sign off, uh, Sarah, I want to. I'm curious, what is your nostalgia guilty pleasure, and would you like to see it rebooted? Hmm. Okay, for TV series, I would say The Nanny because oh. I loved that show growing yeah, up. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with The Nanny. And would you like to see it rebooted? Oh yeah, definitely. And I think they could do it because. Um, I don't know the name of the actress. Minnie Driver? No. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, Fran, Fran Dreiser. Fran yes. Dresher. Fran Dresher. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Minnie um, Driver is uh, from... Uh, uh, I, I can't even tell point. you the steps my brain took to even get to Minnie Driver. Mostly it was involved with Phantom of the Opera, and I can't explain it to anyone. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, All go right. on. <laughs> Minnie Driver is great. Um, <laughs> but I saw a recent interview uh, with Fran, and she just seems as feisty as ever. So I'd love to see her in the reboot. Oh, for sure. What about you, Sammy? Um, I don't know. I mean, I got everything I ever wanted with Gilmore Girls, even though mm, they mm, handled it questionably at times. Quite questionably. Thank you. Uh, that could continue coming back. That would be okay. What else do I miss? I feel like they've tried to reboot a lot of the stuff I grew up on. Like, Girl Meets World was maybe one of the first failings of, of these reboots. Uh even though that was beloved. I haven't tuned into Fuller House, even though, I don't know, it's allegedly made for me as well. What would I, what do I 
miss. Would Golden Girls be fun? A new generation mm. of, of old ladies That's on the a, town? I, I keep waiting for that one to be announced. It's I'm, really, be I'm really shocked that it hasn't been yet. Right. Yeah. I don't know. That could be fun. I'm, I'm going to go with a, a left field one. I want to see Allie McBeal brought back oh. with Calista Flockhart as a judge. Oh, you know? Okay. I think you could pull that off. Could. Maybe West Wing. <laughs> Just mm. real dark. <laughs> <laughs> Just real dark. <laughs> not, not the light and happy one. Not the hopeful one. Uh, yeah. Jason, do any? Uh, it, well, and I will throw out too as the one I don't want to see rebooted at all is Goonies, um, which has been rebooted as Stranger Things. But um, <laughs> you know, Goonies was such a iconic part of my childhood, and such a you know, it's it just it resonated with me in that way that it was aimed to do. And I don't think it would resonate with my kids at all. Cause they just don't live in a world where you can just go explore and find pirate ships before your parents even notice you're missing. Uh, <laughs> but I hope they never touch it. And I'm assuming that there's a reason it hasn't been, uh, but you never know. Uh, but Jason, any, any, uh, any nostalgia stuff you'd like to see come back? Uh, no, I mean, I feel like between X-Files and Twin Peaks and, you know, some of the other ones, I feel like, you know, there's, there's been a lot already. And, um, I only want it to come back if it's if it's going to be really good. I want it to come back if it's going to be like the second season of the X-Files revival and not the first season of the X-Files <laughs> revival. So, so um, and also, you know, Roseanne, it's like Roseanne, as soon as I heard that announced, my reaction was, that's going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. I just really, I, I didn't think, I didn't think that it was going to be what it was. So, so I feel like given that, I don't want to kind of wish for something or wish against something. Um, I just hope that... If things are coming back, they're coming back because they're going to be relevant today, and it not it's not just oh let's figure out like a way to to just kind of do the same thing and do it now and all the things we've been talking about Cobra Kai, uh, Roseanne, even this the second season of the X Files, which very much tied into kind of the you know the current um, state of politics, um, all really made a very great you know made a very great case for being relevant this day and age. So I hope that these other revivals coming down uh, the pike are going to be able to do the same thing. I want to say there's a Thundercats reboot coming too. Am I am I imagining that, Jason? Mm, I'm trying to remember. I feel like maybe that was something that it, Netflix had talked about, or yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, one maybe, of those maybe one not. of those last like 80s it's, cartoons. It's definitely been talked about. I'm not I sure as like cartoon. something that was in development, but I don't know if it's actually if they're plus going forward, Magic School going. Bus is coming. Carmen San Diego is coming. Lion King live action is coming. It's all coming back, folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with a lot of these 80s cartoons, they've been rebooted like three or four times. Uh, you know, it's like, that's the thing, and you can see that all over Netflix and Hulu, is you can watch as many versions of those as you want, but the, the originals are still, like the original X-Men cartoon is still way, way, way better than like the three or four reboots they put out. Um, and so, you know, it's like, I'm not just a nostalgia junkie, because my kids definitely like cut it, cut it to the core. They're just like, no, that is lousy. Like we, we watched the new Voltron, uh, which they really enjoyed. Then we watched the original Voltron and they were like, this is garbage. <laughs> and I was like, okay, maybe, maybe it's not as good as I remember. Fair point. <laughs> All right. Well, we are out of time, but thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Sarah. And Sarah, what, your first uh, appearance on the podcast, how did it go for you? I think it went really well. I hope, uh, I hope I did okay to have me back next time. Absolutely. We we'll have a brief have discussion back. right now in front of you as to whether or not you <laughs> <laughs> perfect things. We will summon the Council of Elders and we will 
Um, but uh, so thank you both for coming on. Thank you, Sammy. Always a pleasure. Our theme music is by Home. This episode was produced by Anya Fernando and edited by Lane McGibbony. Thank you, Anya, and thank you, Lane. Please take a moment, if you haven't already, to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. Uh, if you need to reach us, we're at podcast at adweek.com. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking to you soon. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we'll be back next week. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.